0: Hi, you've reached the podcast of
1: The Board Game Nights.
0: Please leave a message after the theme. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Board Game Nights podcast, Game a Lot, Episode Three, where the nights are bored and the tables are round. A podcast all about tabletop gaming, board games, card games, and everything connected. I'm Ails James, and here are your other hosts: Christoph Schrader, Sam Glasby,
2: and Jessica James. This week on the podcast, we'll be looking at Alchemists, the newest game that involves an app, and on the other side of it, an app that features a game with Hearthstone. We'll then be looking at board gaming apps in general, and we'll have a talk about the Golden Geek Award. But first, what has everyone been playing lately?
3: Well, an interesting game that I played was Lupin Louie. Now, what's Lupin Louie, you might ask? It's a little fun kids game where everyone's got a little paddle in front of them, and they've got to hit this guy called Louie, evil guy, flying around hitting your chickens off a barn. There's three chicken tokens, and once you lose all of them, you lose the game. So, it's a quick little dexterity game trying to hit Louie from hitting your chickens.
2: Fun game. I hear there's a Star Wars version of it coming out called Loop and Chewy. There is. But there's a fun little fact. There's
0: also a life-size version where people use their legs to push down and hit Loop and Louie off the ground.
3: And of course, they are German. (laughs) All right, moving on. Jess,
2: what have you been playing?
0: I actually played Istanbul for the first time this week. Basically, it's best described as probably just a Euro game where you've got a merchant who has a couple of assistants and which are little tokens that sit underneath your merchant. And then you go from tile to tile to complete the actions. But as you go and complete your actions, you drop off an assistant. And eventually you lose them and you can't take any more action. So you need to go back to the fountain to be able to get them all back. Or you can do some sort of tricky maneuver to get them back. And it was a really good game. I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. Eos, what have you been playing? Well, lately I've played um, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, which is um, based on a real guy. And he was mad and a king. And he commissioned a couple of castles to be be made. And they were all absolutely ridiculous. So the game's actually based on that. And the Disney castle uh, is fashioned after one of Mad King Ludwig's castles but in the game you are uh, someone takes on the role of the master builder and they get all of components of rooms and they set the prices of all these rooms so it's like I cut you choose where all the other p- players choose rooms and they try and put all these rooms into their castle and you get various points for attaching rooms of uh, appropriate type and size and with different amounts of opening when you finish rooms you get other bonuses and um yeah just that master builder aspect where you set the prices and other people get the the different ones and you get paid yourself it's a very clever mechanic and i enjoyed it a lot cool what'd you play sam
2: uh, i actually got around to trying out a robo rally so this was a classic uh, richard garfield g- uh, game of programmed movement so everyone has robots you place down a bunch of um orders in more or less real time although there's uh, it's not really very uh, tough with that time requirement. It just sort of like stops the one player that's going a little bit slow. Everyone places their movement orders, then you resolve them all and everyone collides into each other and rams each other into holes and ditches while you're trying to achieve some goal. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was like a really cool game um, and uh, I've seen some a lot of games take inspiration from this real classic game. Yeah, it still stands up to this day. Hmm. Just a little bit of follow-up from the la- from last week's podcast where we're talking about Exploding Kittens, the new game that's being released by The Oatmeal. Uh, we all had a bit of a friendly wager, nothing really, bid except our own dignity, I suppose, on uh, the actual final value total that, that the game would go for. And um, I think Jess bid 6 million, Christoph bid 8, EOS bid 10, and I bid 11 million. And I think that means that Kristoff is the winner. So, small round of applause, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 8.7 million? Yes, the total amount was $8.7 million, and the, the project is, is, is successfully funded... Times infinity. <laughs> <laughs> Times
0: infinity. <laughs> I got a copy. Did anyone else?
3: No. You ended up getting a copy. We will have to review it at a later date, whenever it apparently finishes and gets shipped.
2: Yeah. Yay! It's out I'm sure there'll be no delays. Anyway, moving on to the board gaming news. Alright, now it's time for the Lot News, the only news broadcast where news is not really new and is not really true. Anyway, so the first story we have is Christoph.
3: In breaking news, real scarab beetles were found inside Kemet miniatures. Owners of Kemet are encouraged not to break open their scarab beetle miniatures, lest they invoke the wrath
2: of ancient Egyptian card games. A number of worthy contenders this week juted out for the biggest golden prize in existence, the Golden Geek Awards. We now cross live to just who was at the award ceremony.
0: Hi, Sam. Star Realms is looking a bit spaced out today. Seven Wonders looking lovely as always, but it's a bit of a repeated look. Patchwork, mmm, seems to be doing a Castle's of Burgundy impression. Oh. Oh my god, here comes Five Tribes. Look at those components. Oh my god, back to you, Sam.
2: Leonardo DiCaprio unfortunately did not take home the Best Board Game Award for the ninth
1: year running. We're now across to Aos with a weather update. Cyclone Marsha has caused much damage in central Queensland to many households due to families being forced to play Monopoly for entertainment. Insurance companies are insisting that they can't cover destruction of property due to Monopoly fights, but divorce lawyers are offering discounts in the area.
2: Thank you, Aos. That wraps up the news for this week. Back to the regular... What's up Wallaby, review time. Hearthstone is a two-player digital collectible card game developed by Blizzard Entertainment and is available on Windows, iOS, and Android. All right, so before I continue to the main meat of this review, I want to first point out that Hearthstone is actually a digital collectible card game, so it isn't really a tabletop game at all. So we're kind of cheating for this podcast, but we wanted to bring up Hearthstone because it is that fusion of uh, tabletop and video games that's becoming increasingly popular, it seems. So... Uh, so Hearthstone, what is it? It's a two-player collectible card game where players try and play minions out into the, the to the board and beat up the other player, uh, and it's a sort of a race to see who can deal the most amount of damage um, first. <coughs> so both both players have 30 hit points, and um, whoever gets to zero first loses. So you're trying to just beat down your opponent. Uh, And you do this by, uh, at the start of the game, you draw three cards, or four if you're the second player. It's a sort of a balancing mechanic. And um, you basically play these minions out in the field and they have different uh, attack and defense scores. Um, The really cool thing about this game is that uh, you get what's called mana at the start of every turn, and that mana is equal to the number of turns that has happened so far. So your first turn you have one mana, second turn two, third turn three, and each of your card costs a certain amount of mana. So more powerful cards will cost six or seven, or even t- potentially ten, or, Well, all your cheap minions cost about two or three. And the idea being that if you filled your deck with really big heavy monsters, your enemies will just crush you with their, all their really cheap, quick, weak ones. Or if you have too many quick, weak ones, by the end game you'll just get trounced by the big monsters. So you're trying to build a deck that's quite well balanced. Now, Hearthstone is an incredibly popular game right now, and there are entire YouTube channels just devoted to playing this game with, that are getting hundreds of thousands of views. And um, it's become such a cultural icon that I, I think that we can't like, just ignore it completely. So um, I think Jess has actually played this a little bit recently herself. So what have you been thinking so far of it, Jess?
0: It's pretty good. It actually reminds me a little bit of Magic, just because it's got the monsters coming out and everything like that. But instead of having land, which you need to slowly build up over time, you obviously have that mana. And it actually speeds up the pace of the game, because eventually you go, well, I've got 10 mana, I'm going to put out 5 monsters. That sort of thing, or two really big ones, whatever it is, you know. So there is a very sort of quickness to it, you know, where eventually, yes, you're going, it's going to end. I-, I thought it was a pretty good game, nice and polished.
2: So one of the cool things about the game is there's actually nine different classes to play as. There are mages, warriors, hunters, rogues, warlocks, and four others that I can't quite think of right now, paladins and whatever. Uh, anyway, each of them have a special ability that costs two mana, and each of them is unique to theirs. So, for instance, the mage can spend two mana to deal one damage to a minion or to the enemy. The hunter can spend two two mana to deal two damage directly to the opponent. And each of these lend a different sort of style to the way that they play their decks. They also get access to unique cards that are only accessible to that particular class. So the idea being that uh, mages have a certain bunch of spells that only mages can cast because well, they're mages. You don't have warlocks casting mage spells. You don't have rogues throwing fireballs. It doesn't make sense. So, you know they've sort of kept it quite consistent. And Hearthstone is actually based in the world of war Warcraft lore, so each of the characters, each of those nine different classes, are actually based on characters within that lore. And I used to be a, a huge Warcraft 1, 2, and 3, when it back was in an RTS game. I used to be a huge fan of that game way back when. Uh, never really got too, too into the world of Warcraft sort of stuff, but so a lot of the um, sound effects and a lot of the characters and art actually reminds me of those old school RTSs. So there's a bit of a nostalgia trip there that, that seems to be quite popular a lot amongst a lot of people, myself included.
0: Well, I avoided Warcraft as like the play because I decided that I didn't want to absorb you know absorb my life into a video game, which is what I was afraid Warcraft would do um, but it is still really nice and pretty and it's really nice to see the characters yeah, it's very high quality sounds you know pictures animation everything's very clean cut there's no errors everywhere which usually happens for new games even now with big companies um, so yeah it's really nice to see that and it's also interesting seeing a game which updates so you usually don't have that with a game <laughs> you know
2: well you see that but they've, they've only really had two big updates since they launched uh, about a year ago now and those two big updates were one of them was uh, the Nax Rammus pack and the next one was Goblins vs Gnomes uh, I'll, I'll get into them in a little bit but I just want to first talk about the advantages of a CCG so uh, uh, being in a digital form so in like magic and uh, other real life card games they have to phase out old cards and um, if they create a card that's too imbalanced they'll need to create a counter card or make that card just flat out illegal. Whereas in a digital CCG, they can actually have the stats as to which classes are winning more often and losing, or more often, and and actually they can rebalance the game based on what they're seeing. So, for instance, one example of this was uh, there was a card called Leroy Jenkins, and it's the famous YouTube sensation Leroy Jenkins. And anyway, so this was just like uh, I think it was a four mana card that de- dealt six damage, and it was a minion that you summon, and you could just there was like a, a couple of combination cards that you could use with it and you basically meant that if you could deal just a small amount of damage to y- your enemy early on you could just come in at the end and just just d- deal an insane amount of damage at the end and it always felt kind of cheap and it didn't really feel like a great victory and a lot of people were complaining about it this particular archetype which I think was being dubbed Miracle Rogue and a lot of people complained about it and so the guys just went into the game values and changed the 4 mana cost to 5 and suddenly the combo just switched off, it just didn't work, it didn't deal anywhere near as much damage and, a- and all of these other classes that couldn't really run or do much because of this powerful strategy were able to come back in and shift the meta and they've done this with a few cards that have been overpowered and they can just constantly rebalance the game as they go along and Obviously, some people complain because the people that like playing Miracle Rogue suddenly can't now because Leroy Jenkins is no good. But, I mean, I think this is actually a really good system because being able to change mechanics on the fly is really cool and interesting. But there's a secondary thing here that actually, I think, a lot of really cool design in LCGs and CCGs are all about trying to constantly shift the balance of the game with introducing new and interesting cards. So, for instance, in Netrunner, when there's a card people complain about a strategy, they introduce new cards that just turn off that strategy to counter that strategy or to create new archetypes that are even more powerful and so it actually create it, it sort of inspires inspiration literally in, in the design to, to keep it going whereas in, in hearthstone they just change the value and then then they go about their day which yeah, you know, it, it feels like that there's a missed opportunity as a result of that
3: it's, it's a bonus actually is that card game is purely online that they don't have to errata cards that are printed yeah
0: except i'd re- did feel like there really was a designed play sort of revolving around it. I sort of felt like I was being guided. I'm probably too early in the game to really be able to make that sort of judgment, but I just feel like everything is sort of... I don't know. Something's off. Something's not quite right. Maybe it's just because (laughs) I'm so used to Netrunner and Magic and other games like that, that I'm just not used to the perfectness of this game, if that makes sense.
2: Everything in the game resolves itself, so you don't ever have that weird situation where you don't quite understand what's going on. Everything just sort of just makes it gets resolved you don't have to worry oh what happens if i play this and this and this and this um a lot of the mechanics in the game they never actually teach you like the way that death rattles resolve in in order of the way that they're placed and there's some weird rules that you sort of only get once you start to play the game and start to get the feel for it and so in terms of it being a skilled game a skilled gamer's game at the higher level it's definitely one of these games that has a very sharp learning curve so once you start getting into it, it, it it is a you know there's deep strategy that gets yeah. really involved into it. But I don't know, I've been I've been following Hearthstone for a while now and I feel like when you get after you get past that learning curve of obviously any any new game that you get into, I feel like the game just isn't really that strategic yes. once you get past that. Yeah, obviously, you know, yeah, if you're really skilled at the game, yeah, you can get all the way up to le- legend and all that sort of rank if you put in the time and effort and build decent decks and things like that. Yeah, there's some definitely some skill in the deck building and in the play. But a lot of the really good cards in the game introduce randomness. And from a card game perspective of a tabletop card game's perspective, that's like a big no-no. You don't just have dice rolls determine what certain cards do, but Half stone can because it's all run by computers, so it just sort of resolves itself normally. And a lot of the random element cards are actually more powerful than their regular counterparts, so you'll want to run <laughs> them over than the, over the regular ones. And so you just end up with a situation whereby... Uh, at the higher levels, you can see entire games win or lose based on the flip of a coin of a mad bomber's bomb that f- throws out or a um, bomb lobber that deals four to the wrong minion and everything goes pear-shaped. I, I admit that there's a, a certain amount of skill that comes into luck mitigation by you know, funneling your chances down into making it the, the smoothest way. Um, and, and, and reducing your, your, the bad odds you, by killing off all the minions you don't want it to hit and then hitting it with the ones you do. But it just doesn't feel like it's really that deep at the higher level. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Hearthstone now was but on the cusp of apps. We wanted to talk a bit about apps, but we also wanted to talk about this because it's on the other side of the Goblins versus Gnomes pack. And this one introduces a lot more randomness. And they sort of just doubled down on this whole idea of random chaos in, in, in CCGs. And you know what? I think it actually makes it a really interesting card game for everyone, right? Like, it's really good when you're a new player and you get that ridiculous win where you shouldn't have won, but everything just went perfectly right and you have a laugh and you have... It's fun when things go a little bit pear-shaped or, or a bit weird or a bit interesting. Uh, but I also feel like it doesn't really lend itself to a tournament structure. And there are people that are tournamenting Hearthstone and things like that, but I, I feel like it's just... I, I, th- I think that the variance in there it makes it a very difficult game to tournament, indeed. Whereas I think like a, a game like, for instance, Netrunner, where it's a lot more about the decisions you make at the table and how there's so much unknowns and uncertainties that you actually have really good tournament play. Hearthstone's ah, just kind of down to well, I lost that game because I got a bad draw, even though the deck was fine and everything was fine, but I got a bad matchup, I got a bad draw, and everything just went pear-shaped. Which I don't know. I I feel like. Maybe I've just had one too many game where just things didn't go anywhere near the, the way that they should that I just sort of went mm, maybe not. I will not. add
0: that Sam really doesn't like randomness when it comes to strategic game. So Well,
2: it's
3: it sounds to me like it's just you know it's a fly in the soup. It's a str- yeah. you play a game like that for the competitive nature of it and that you are you know it's a very tight competition between opponents. So adding in random elements just, just feel kind of awkward, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's it sounds accessible. The game sounds extremely accessible, right? So oh, obviously absolutely. that's what they got that's what they're going for. It's a collectible game, accessible, and thus will involve some luck. If it was too strategic, then people wouldn't be playing as much as they
2: are, I'd imagine. Exactly. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it sort of reminded me, because I have played a lot of really small random games on the internet, just small flash games as they came through, and it really reminded me of just like an era of that, put into a nice shiny case with a really good tutorial and a really big name on it. It really just reminds me of a lot of the other really basic card games that you can find online. It's just been blown up to this perfection. I just can't see it as something that will be competitive for really strategic players because it just it's too simple in a lot of ways. There is some strategicness in the sense that like you can do. There's no turn order in the sense of you know you have to do this first before you can do this before you can cast spells that sort of thing like magic does. You can do everything in whatever order you want. So you can summon something and then attack, or attack and then summon something, whatever you prefer which does give you some strategy but ultimately I just felt that it was very, it's very good for an online c- card game
2: <laughs> <laughs> and just is absolutely right there that the skill in the game all just comes down to going what's the right order to do everything in but the problem I have with it is that there is always a right way to do everything in and there is always an easy solution to it. So, so, you know, you can look at it and you can sort of weigh up all of the decisions you have and there's going to be the best option. Uh, And it's maybe a little bit difficult to work that out because sometimes you need to know the common cards that the opponent has. So if you know the opponent's running this sort of deck, you know that they've got this so you won't play into that. Um, And because of the way that the system works, because everyone is playing online so fast, you have the meta constantly um, moving very quickly, so but so big archetypes come in, they do a thing, and then someone plays the counter to that, and then that old car- old meta just disappears. But you have people there that 're just tracking the stats and seeing how everything 's going and keeping building decks to the meta and everything like that and at that point it doesn 't really feel like skill so much it is as it is just an exercise in data gathering and that's that's my job. That's not what I want to do for <laughs> my fun,
0: for fun in your spare time.
3: <laughs> I think t- I think to review it as a competitive, like a strategic competitive game, and reflect on it as such is probably uh, far from what they intended with this game. It seems exactly. to be a very much a basic game. That's it's a mobile game, right? So it's a very cheap, easy to get into, addictive game, fl- flashy online.
0: But that's the most awful thing because I'm guessing you can buy cards and you can buy it with cash. And it just becomes another freemium.
2: I'll just, um, spend, I just want to quickly finish up this by talking about the monetization in the game. So, Hearthstone is a free game. You can play it, you can download it, you can do whatever you want with it. And I recommend everyone check it out. I actually, while I do had some criticisms regarding the higher level randomness elements of the game, I definitely think it's worth checking out because it's pretty, it's interesting, and it's a, it is a well-designed card game that is really fun and interesting. Uh, so, it's, fr- it's a free game, so check it out. The the way the game works is that each day they'll give you a bunch of quests, and that quest will be win X many times as this class, or do this. And those daily quests are a mechanic there to keep you coming back and playing a bit more to get lots of gold because you earn lots of gold for completing those quests. And at any time you can spend a hundred gold to get a pack of five random cards, and one of those random cards will always be a rare card or better. So you'll always get uh, like you know something at least something decent in each pack. In theory, some of the rare cards some of the rare cards are a bit mediocre, but yeah, that's. It's all variants. And, like, you know, the best cards in the game, well, some of the best cards in the game are legendaries, which are incredibly rare. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a CCG. So you, you, people like that randomness element. I, I'm not a big fan of it. I like to have all the strategy, but I can dig it. I can, I can, I can. There's something fun about opening those packs and seeing a big legendary come out. I can I, I will admit that that's pretty fun and cool.
3: Well, th- that's exactly why people play games like Magic the Gathering, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, all those sort of collectible card games, but this is just a purely online format of that same sort of thing. So, as as a game, you think it's successful in that way? You can recommend it to people?
2: Absolutely. Instead of 100 gold, which you can get from just playing the game by beating players and completing the daily quests, you can also spend, I think it's a dollar for a pack, or and so you can buy bulk packs and you get discounts when you buy in bulk. You can also uh, pay 150 gold or $2 to do what's called an arena run, and an an arena run is just a basically a draft where it will generate three random cards, and you can choose one of those cards to add to your deck. You build a deck of thirty cards, and you play against random opponents using their drafted decks. And then, w- and you play until you win, or uh, sorry, you play until you lose three times, and then you get rewards depending on how well you did. So, if you get twelve wins, for instance, which is the maximum that they'll get, you get you get a you get one or two packs and like a whole lot of gold, like three hundred gold. So you can, in theory, play this game, and if you're really good at arena play infinitely and you can get all the packs and you can get everything you want if you're really good at those arena runs but you're probably not going to be good at those arena runs until you've played a bit of Constructed and to, play, to be good at Constructed you probably need to get a few packs so it's this, this sort of cycle where you probably need to fork over a little bit of money to start with to just sort of get the feel for the game um, or, or you can play a lot of arena and get a sort of a feel for, the, for, those, for what the cards in the card pool are um, yeah uh you can also, so you can pay $2 or 150 gold to enter that arena. So you've got a sort of like um a very straightforward economy in that game, in, that f- in the fact that packs and arena runs are all like a dollar, $2, so it's one of those ones that just sort of chips away at your bank account if you play it a little bit too much and you just want to go, oh, I'll just get another pack, we'll just see how it goes. Hmm.
0: I definitely think Hearthstone is the next generation of card games, and I'm not sure whether I'm happy or sad about it.
2: I'm personally quite happy, because as much as I, you know, will jump up and down and talk about how great Netrunner is, the problem with it is that it is just not accessible for a lot of the people that are into video games. And any Anything that helps bridge that transition between board games and video games, I think, is just a great thing for for both for both groups, right?
3: Which half stone is.
2: Absolutely is. Perfect. So that game was half stone. You can find it on iOS, Android, and on PC.
1: G'day Tiger. Time for a review.
2: Alchemists, a 2-4 player game designed by Matthias Kotry and published by Cranio Creations and Czech Games. It is a heavy Euro deduction and worker placement game. Alchemists
3: has a wondrous sense of theme. Now, I'm going to read to you a little excerpt from the manual. I received my new cauldron today. Finally, my laboratory is complete. For days, I've been gathering and drying ingredients in anticipation. What shall I mix first? I have a strong hunch about raven's feather and mandrake root, and they say you can never go wrong with a toad. But then, what do they know? This is my laboratory, my research. Once I've published my theories, the others will be coming to me. I'm determined to prove that I have the greatest mind that ever studied alchemy. So now, I shall light my fire, for it is time to get to work. Knowledge, wealth, and fame can all be found in the murky depths of the cauldron. In Alchemists, players take on the role of young, budding alchemists, competing for prestige and reputation day by day, as they forage for various ingredients, sell potions to travellers, test said potions on naïve students, and perhaps even themselves. The most prestige is awarded to Alchemists, who can discover the correct combination of potions to transmute the relevant ingredients and submit their theories before everyone else. However, if you can accurately disprove someone else's theory, their loss is your gain, and valuable information can be gathered by all other players. Now, the best thing about Alchemists, beside the mind-boggling deduction, is its use of an external app to seamlessly allow players to test their potions in secret. Eos, what did you think about this app? I think it was the most innovative and exciting part of Alchemist's.
1: Yeah, the app's very well done. It's uh, it's very clear the whole way that it goes into. So the app um, does all the extra work so that you don't need a game master in the game. Which is the worst possible thing you could ever do as a fifth player. Yes.
0: Especially in this game.
1: So with the app it um, generates all of the uh, chemical makeups for the ingredients for you and it uh, generates a code for you so that you can share that code with everyone else at the table. You could all use a separate smartphone and test your results that way.
3: Hmm. The solutions all being unique to every single game you play. So you start on the app a new game and it gives you that four letter code which everyone puts in on their on their phones, which we all had a different phone for this as well, so it was very convenient. Everyone had their own little, you know, grimoire of their mobile phone to use. And they were using it seamlessly. So, so basically they would put up their two ingredients on the oh, we should talk about the shield by the way. The components for Alchemists are absolutely top. Notch. This is not a cheap game, but for very good reason. The components are absolutely flawless, they're very pretty, and they're not cheap. They're chunky, particularly the shield that everyone is using, which is a very, very important because you're hiding a lot of information behind that shield. It's a very, very large shield that comes together in three or four different pieces, and then you put a small sheet of paper behind that to mark down your results from your testing to deduct what the ingredients are for these t- particular potions and ingredients and such. So on a player's turn, when they want to test two particular ingredients that they found on their way to the lab in the morning, they can put these two ingredient little cards onto the top of their shield. There's a little groove in the top of the shield where you can place the cards so they will stay there. So you pull out your phone and do the test ingredients option on the app. Holding it in, directly in front using the, phone on the, the camera on the phone, it'll read the outline of the two ingredients, and then combine them together to create a potion. You then publicly show this potion result to the other players, and then mark down in your sheet your particular results you want to deduct from. The cool thing about this is that everyone knows what potions you can make. However, they do not know what ingredients you're using to make those potions. So this is where all the deduction of the game starts to come to fruition.
0: I really like the logic puzzle sort of side of this. I've played a few logic puzzles before, and I really liked go- looking at it, and I just sort of realized, oh, but that means if this one is this one, then this one is this one. Oh, and I sort of made all these weird noises as I'm playing, because I'm just like, oh my god, it has to be this one. And it becomes a really, really tight race at the end of it. It was really good.
3: The biggest things I could take away from Alchemist is that it's a really brilliant example of a game, a modern game, using you know tried and true game mechanics such as worker placement and deduction, but with a whole new tool through the mobile phone and the app to then just make the game so fresh and unique that way that your tactile or the tactile nature of putting up the ingredients and then testing them to get a result was just so engaging the, and then the idea that you have to figure out on your sheet cross out these things and those things and that information cross references of something else you've tested previously it really encapsulates that feeling of Testing, quite literally, and then finding these results and then just discovering what the answers are going to be. And that is r- super engaging. And the idea that you are racing everyone else to try and, as you know, if it, on your turn, being able to test two different lots of ingredients is huge. Spending a whole round not testing ingredients could be potentially, you know, you're putting yourself quite behind the other players trying to figure out the answers and thus submitting your theories to get points.
0: On the other hand, it's really cool just actually seeing people go, oh, I reckon it's probably this one. I'm just going to write that it's this one because it's going to give me points anyway, even if I'm wrong. Yeah. And you can make, you can put, you know, zero victory points towards it yeah. and sort of just give a random guess.
3: Music. It, it could quite simply allow the players to, you know, bide their time the entire game and then submit all their theories in the final round. However, the massive incentive is that every time you submit a theory you immediately get a point, regardless of its validity. So, and at the end of every single round, the person with the most submitted theories also gets additional points.
1: At the end of uh, round three and round five, there's also a conference, and if you haven't Uh, written a certain amount of theories you will lose reputation points
3: once you are very high on the prestige when you make mistakes you end up losing twice as much prestige as you normally would and conversely when you're the dunce of the alchemist academy so to speak when you're so low in reputation whenever you would lose reputation you lose less than you normally would if you were of higher prestige so players that are scoring quite low it's very hard for them to fall back further and the players who are currently in a higher position, it is much easier for them to start falling back quickly (laughs) into mediocrity.
0: The testing stage was actually a really, really interesting choice because you could decide to test it on a student, or you could decide to to test it on yourself. Testing on yourself didn't cost anything, But you could have these massive downsides if you created the wrong potion. You could lose points, you could lose one of your little workers.
3: Which is huge. It was pretty huge
0: because you've only got four and you can't increase that except once temporarily with a card. Um, But if you test it on the student, if he has a negative potion before you from someone else, because it's the one student, everyone's sharing the one student... If he has a negative potion before you, he will force you to pay one coin for every time.
3: He took a bad person, got sick, and then he's not taking any more without a little bit of payment on the side.
0: Exactly. And you're considered very wealthy if you have five coins. It's very rare to get coins. The
3: coins in this game are extremely tight. The points are even tighter. And... Uh, the- Brilliant! It was very a very intriguing game. The, the point system was probably my favorite part of it all. But it was just fun. We, sp- I mean, the first time I played this game, we watched uh, a review online and a quick rules explanation just to get the gist of it. And we spent a good hour or so just learning how the game worked and all of the rules. But I never really thought that that was a slog to try and get the game and wrap my head around it. It was just. It was fun. It was quite enjoyable. Constantly surprised by little rules that it would be like, oh, and, and this does this, and this does that. It was, it's like opening a nice big toy box and finding all the nice new shiny things to play with. And that's the best part about Alchemist, is that the theme is so tightly woven in with the game mechanic, and the components are just so awesome that playing it really is just genuinely a lot of fun, the act of playing it.
0: It's really refreshing getting a game like this, because its it has a lot of good aspects from other games, but it's completely new in itself, and it's still got a lot of really refreshing themes, and it's just... It was a lot of fun, and it was interesting, and it was difficult. And you won. <laughs> ah, <I> won. <laughs> on, your fir- <laughs> on your first
3: playthrough. You won, it was and a- good. about twice as many points as the rest of us. If I, yeah, there is. I do have one complaint regarding this game, and it's not as much a complaint as a, uh, a thing to be wary of. Like, um, I highly, rec- I would highly recommend this game, but to anyone who wants a nice, chunky, Euro-type game, a deduction game to you know play and play with a couple of people, that it's not a game that I would necessarily buy. Because I don't think I would have a space for it in my, in my collection myself. That's just a personal note. But Regardless, there is an issue where if you make a single mistake in recording your results from testing, your entire game can be compromised. And this happened to me on both playthroughs, where just by some coincidence I marked down one result wrong. I think it was actually where I I got a result of a red negative potion, where I should have marked down a red positive, and thus all of my assumptions thereafter were incorrect. Which completely ruined my scoring in the later game, but that's of course that's your mistake. And thematically, you make up that one mistake in your testing, and
0: yeah. As someone that's done chemical experiments in real life, it's actually really funny because that is actually extremely accurate. Yeah. You need to make sure that you write everything down properly. But it's also really upsetting because I felt awful for Christoph because he was going to do so well. <laughs> well, I, I was. I, I put
3: I put all my eggs into that one basket, and I, I potentially could score enough points to go into that top two or three players but ended up doing the complete opposite and
1: dropping down quite yeah. far. Often at the end of the game like Christopher had done, I'd done it in my first playthrough as well. I'd got one thing incorrect or I had assumed the wrong thing and it's a little bit harder than other deduction games in that this is dealing with like a red positive or negative. It's not like a particular person that you would cross off a deductive list. So in this you can make that um, mistake there and when you are trying to get more gold so that you can um, afford to write theories to get your points, you may be doing it by either selling ingredients or selling potions. And if If you are uh, selling potions and you accidentally mix the incorrect one and don't get as much money as you need, you can potentially waste that whole term. To wrap things up, guys,
3: I think that, in general, would we all agree that this is a game that we definitely recommend? It's a very good
1: game. It's a very well-produced game. Everything about it is uh, extremely well done. There's lots of replayability, and it's very thematic.
3: Yeah, that's my favourite part about it, that the theme is so tightly woven into the mechanic that it's really seamless, and that was enjoyable. Even if I made that one mistake, I still enjoyed myself immensely.
1: There, there's also a uh, master variant. So we only played with the apprentice variant, and that was uh, there's a lot going on. Quote, unquote, uh, see, apprentice. You should see Jess's face right now. I'm so right excited. The, so the, the 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 there's it. a master variant, and what that does, it, it changes the amount of ingredients that you receive at the start of the game. So you get two instead of three. Uh, the conferences are a little bit harder, so at the end of round three and five, you have to have more theories written, otherwise you'll lose more points. The game and also brutal. in the debunking section, you need to not only... Uh, when you debunk someone's theory, you don't have to just go, look, that particular uh, aspect, red, green, or yellow is incorrect. You must uh, show it via saying this ingredient and this particular ingredient, if I mix them together, that's how you get this particular outcome, which disproves your theory. Which is oh, wow. bonkers. That's
3: huge. <laughs> that's huge. Sitting
1: someone down to learn this game, it's a real...
3: I don't. There's not many games I can think of that, like, let's say, Terra Mystica is very much a very much clunky. There's not clunky, but there's lots of little pieces going around, and it does take a while to learn all the different systems and how they interact with each other. Whereas Alchemist is just that one deduction problem, which is so unique on itself that trying to wrap your head around that for the first time is quite a task, <laughs> but once you get over that hurdle, the rest
1: it actually becomes really intuitive. Yeah, that information that you get, deciding how to put that down, so when you when you prove that, if, if it's a red positive for example, you can go through and cross off all the red negatives from that particular ingredient, but when you get more and more information uh, that comes to light, and that you can find out and discover new ways to cross off other information, that's pretty exciting in the game.
3: Yeah. It really feels like you're discovering something, that only you yep. know, it's your yeah, special yeah. information.
1: Because you have your secret little shield, and you got your secret smartphone device that only you know about and yeah there's like a little cackle inside yourself and you're like this is my little world yep it's perfect
0: for me, and my cackle. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, yeah, in, sh- in short, we highly recommend Alchemists, and if you're looking for something different to play, and especially if you're looking for something that involves the use of a smartphone, uh, definitely do go go at least try and play this game, but you would not be disappointed in buying this game, even if it's just gorgeous, <laughs> other than uh, being a fun game to play. But whatever you do do, do not go and try have a fifth player, because they are not going <laughs> to go have fun. <laughs>
0: And also, try to try to learn the game when you've got enough sleep, because I heard apparently you guys tried to learn the game at like 1 or 2am yeah. or something We still had a lot ridiculous. of
1: fun. Yeah. We did. It was 2 or 3am two or in the morning, and uh, yeah, it took us a little while to wrap our heads but around. But we,
3: we all still had a ball. Even just learning the yes. game, we were like, oh, so that's how
1: this works.
3: Oh my god, that's such a cool idea. I want to play this right now.
0: Hardcore board gamers.
1: It was just... Yeah, it's good. Many aspects are really good in the game. Go play
3: it. You will not be disappointed, and it's a wonderful example of what board games can do when they use mobile phone apps and technology to improve upon their gameplay. And now that I say that, that's actually a really good point at which to segue to our next discussion topic, and that is using apps in board games. Sam? All
2: right. So, um, I've got a number of apps in here that I sometimes use as uh, supplements to some of my gaming experiences, and uh, these are really cool tools that you can use for either specific games or for games in general. So, the first thing I want to talk about is... so. Everyone has that game where you need to have one start player, right? Like, and the start player does quite matter Does matter a lot for those games because it means that person gets to go first and dictate the actions. And uh, you can always do the whole roll die, scissors, paper, rock. Uh, but when you've got lots of people, it can take a while and you can end up in a situation where everyone keeps rolling sixes and you get mad around the table. Well, here's a little app that can fix that. If you're on iOS, there's an app called Start Player. And Start Player is actually a board game that was developed by Ted Alsback. And the idea behind it was it was just full of little ideas of how to start a game. And they made a, a version of it that's sort of into an app as well that you can use. It has a little spinner and it'll spin and randomly select one person to go. And away, that, away you go. Bang! Start Player resolved. Uh, another little app that's quite cool is called CHWAZI. And the idea behind this one is that everyone puts their finger on the phone. And then it'll randomly select one of those fingers to be the person that's first. And you can use this app for all sorts of things, like, you know, you're sitting at the pub and you want to go, who's going to go get the next round of beers? You, Everyone touches the app and, ha ha, so you're the loser. Um, yeah, so if you need to know start players, iOS is start player and for Google there's Twayze. I've
0: seen Twayze and that one is actually really, really cool. It's got got really pretty colours. That's the one that Aos used when we played Alchemist. I've
3: I've seen him use it a couple of times. What kind of name is that? It's its name. That's its name. It's Twayze. Cool. You got some apps there to talk about?
0: I do. I actually have um, apps that were once board games and they've actually been turned into apps that you can play either by yourself or with other people at the table. Um, So they're really uh, applicable for for, say iPads and things like that, where you've got a big screen, but not too, obviously not too big, but a few people can sort of lean it in place. So that means you don't need to carry around the board games. So, uh, for example, you've got Roll for It, which is like Yahtzee, Weave, and Rico- Ricochet Robots, and Hive. They're all free, uh, but some of them you do obviously require some people. Some of them do have AI, some of them don't. There are some that you can pay for. Summit Awards is one of those great apps um, from, obviously, a great game that is free to play. You get two factions that you start up with, but you can pay, I think it's only $10, something around that, for all of the different factions. So you can have a real good go at it. And that's good for anyone that's learning Summit Awards, because it's really strict with the way the rules run. Um, There's other games like Eclipse, Le Havre, even things like Puerto Rico, San Juan... Um, dominant species, pandemic, and even Lords of Waterdeep are available in the app stores, but I suppose it, it just differs from Apple to Android. But those are the ones that I found in Android.
3: Summoner Wars would be amazing on a tablet. I can think of that. But a good example there, like that game, is for free and it'll come with two factions that you can play. But then the pay option, having to get more action, more factions to play with, very similar to the game itself how it works normally. But yeah, it'd be very interesting to play that on a tablet, more so than a smartphone.
1: Your
0: smartphone actually worked really well. The only times where it doesn't is because it is a very high-intensity app. It tends to heat up my screen, and when my screen gets heated up, the buttons don't work. But I suppose it's one of those things of living in the far north Queensland.
3: It is also, that's um is that a Sony Xperia? This isn't
0: a Sony Xperia, you know, yes. it's a pretty good phone.
3: It's a very large phone, that's that's a very big screen, and that tight packaging, it is going to get warm when
2: it's pushed, yeah.
0: Oh, it's, it's relatively thin, though. It's
2: tr- Australian people problems. Welcome to welcome to Australians complaining about the nature of technology. <laughs> we don't like it. It's too hot. Pretty much. Or it's too wet. Another app I want to talk about is ScoreGeek. And ScoreGeek is a little app that's been developed by uh, Rebrand Software, I think. And the idea behind it is it's like a little app that you can keep track of your wins and losses and your scores for different games. Uh, and if you're a person that likes to obsessively keep numbers uh, and just sort of keep track of who you've played with, how many times you've won, how many times you've lost, this app has got Lots and lots of little features that are really cool you can it has custom games, so you can put in like something like Seven Wonders and you can just put in all the stats for the games, like um what cards you actually had at the end and it'll go through and actually calculate your score and different game it has support for something like I think it's four hundred games they claim to have i haven 't tried them all obviously don't have the time <laughs> don't have four hundred games um, but yeah, this is a really cool app that just keeps track of everything for you and you can uh export these these results if you want you can to Twitter and BoardGameGeek, and it's got all this extra functionality and support that that makes it really good if you just want to keep track of it. I, I believe it's uh, on Android only, but I could be wrong about that one.
0: I guess we can't go past this section without mentioning One Night Ultimate Werewolves app. <laughs> just quickly, but also probably mention that I, don't, I haven't noticed any of the other um, board games having add-on apps, aside from Alchemist and, yeah.
2: I would actually like to say that there are some, there are some uh, games that actually do have have companion apps usually as the result of poor components. I'm looking at you, Betrayal at House on the Hill, which actually had a slider bar that was meant to have uh, different stats for each character, but they were really notoriously unreliable, so someone made an app for it. Um, another big thing was like Dominion for instance, which has so many expansions and th- you're meant to have like a deck of cards that are just one of everything and you randomly select them to make the piles, but that can get tedious when you get expansions, you want to mix some in you don't want to mix some in and there's an, a nice little app there called Dominion Shuffle which you can use to select your, uh, whatever Dominion versions you have and it will randomly pick a set of 10 and you can always um, remove cards if you don't like certain cards in, in, in being in the kingdom for it um, and it's customizable in that respect
3: Hmm. I'm just going to say, um, like that's a good example of simplifying a game. The Betrayal example is brilliant because those sliders just don't click on to the pieces at all. They fall off, and using the app was just very intuitive and easy to see. But another example of um, an app that helps simplify a game's experience, um, Twilight Imperium, the TI3 stats app. That came in very, very handy, rather than the the sheet that you have at the start of the game has everyone's stats correct, but on the app, you can see every player's stats at once, and once everyone gets new technology, it updates all of the role details and numbers automatically, and that just helped. The, the mental gymnastics of remembering everyone's numbers throughout a game like that was greatly aided through that app.
2: <laughs> it definitely speeded up the uh, whole, oh, I need to roll. Did, did that succeed or fail? I need to look through all of my technology to see which ones are relevant. Okay, I've got this one and this one, which means that this is a success on this condition. And then, all, or, you know, the thing where you turn, go to the next turn, and you go, oh, I, I didn't do so well. And then you look over and you see that you missed the technology that would have meant that you won the battle or something like that. Which, when you're playing a game that's, you know, usually about eight hours to begin with, those sorts of mistakes become
3: really annoying. That could be um, something that Fantasy Flight might look at for their fourth edition of Twilight Imperium in the future, seeing as they have games like XCOM now, which use the app quite well.
2: The infamous fourth edition that shall never be.
3: It'll happen one day and they'll have an app, a companion app for it, I bet you anything, that's FFG, you can trust them. Praise be to Fantasy Flight. Just said the words before, right? Um, board Game Nights, we, we thoroughly recommend One Night Ultimate Werewolf, as you can tell. I got, um, I got the chance to play uh, Daybreak, the new expansion for One Night, at our local game night a couple nights ago. And I've got a second. Not say, relevant. Um, Moving on. <laughs> no 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 I gotta say we're talking about apps and this is relevant the app for daybreak right all roughly the same but they made some really nice small changes to it including the music and this is the biggest part the music they added to the one night app it's actually really thematic music and that like kind of you know energetic and tribal and it's just really cool I thought that was just a, a small change it actually changed the way you play the game rather than just these weird nighttime sounds of crickets and shuffling in the grass it actually helped the game with the tension and yeah it was it was really cool
2: so we've given on a list of a whole, uh, whole pile of different apps. Maybe you found something in there that sounded interesting. You can find all of these available on the Google Play Store or the iOS App Store, and maybe they might have it on the extra phone platforms like Amazon, but that's a, that's a wilderness that's beyond our comprehension. All right, we've got another bit coming up, but first we're going to have Jess tell us what she really thinks about a certain game, but we'll only give her 30 seconds. Off you go, Jess.
0: Okay, so Sam and Aos brought out a game that they seemed really excited to show both Christopher and I and we started to get excited too. I mean, the game had awesome art and a Golden Geek award. The rules were easy to understand and it looked like a good Euro. And then we started playing Augustus. For anyone that's enjoyed it, I'm sorry, but you're practically playing Shiny Bingo. And unlike Bingo, there isn't a meat tray that you can win at the end. There is no strategy and no winner. Augustus is an awful game. After two minutes of playing, Christopher and I looked at each other and realized they had tricked us. Then they laughed at a horror. People are trying to pop off their copies for cheap, and I don't blame them. This game crushes my
2: cubes. And now for something completely different. In February, we found the results of the Golden Geek Awards for 2014. For those of you who aren't aware, the Golden Geek Award is the Board Game Geek website's fan-based voting award system, so it's like a public vote, popular vote, for people who use the website Board Game Geek. If you haven't used the website before, uh, it's definitely a really good resource for finding out stuff about board games, and there's lots of really engaged forums and guilds and a lot going on, even though the website itself looks a little dated. So the idea behind this award is it's sort of like a popular vote, and uh, so I think we'll just go and quickly discuss some of the things that won the games and what we think about them the big one the biggest board game award is of course the board game of the year and this year that was picked up by uh, splendor now has anyone here actually played splendor no, no. <laughs> unfortunately being in australia we do suffer the um un- fortunate side effect of board games being just that little bit less accessible than than we would like to be. I got the chance
3: to play Splendor at PAX last year, right? And I remember Shut Up and Sit Down doing their review. They did a a review, like a two-in-one review of Splendor and Machi Koro. And just from even watching that review, I immediately gravitated towards Machi Koro over Splendor. And I had that exact same conundrum at PAX last year with limited time. I I had to pick one of these two games to play. I ended up playing Machi Koro. So, I didn't get to play Splendor. But from what I could tell Hell, it's a set collection game, card drafting type thing, but very accessible and thus a very popular game, right? So you can see why it was popular, and that obviously contributed to getting in lots of votes and thus getting Game of the Year over some very notable runner-ups.
2: Yeah, so the two runner-ups that um, came second and third were Dead of Winter and Five Tribes, which are games that we actually have played a little bit of. I guess I really can't comment on whether or not we think Splendor was worthy of the winning particular place, but we know that those two and the, the the games that came second and third were definitely solid titles dead of winter and five
3: tribes are both really really good games and they both got multiple mentions of runner-up and or awards this year for board game geek but i think it's more a reflection on uh, the board game geek voting system as a whole that splendor of course being a more accessible easier to teach and obviously it'll show up at more tables type of game it will get more votes thus get the award uh, regardless of it being maybe not a better game
2: well i i think that at the same time people uh, a game uh, a game needs to be simple enough that en- that you can bring it out lots of times, but also deep and engaging enough that people want to play it over and over again. So, I think that in the aspect of the bias that exists within any award system, I think it's probably ultimately pretty fine. Like, I mean, if someone made the best game ever, but very few people could actually sit down and play it, then it would probably, you know, probably shouldn't win Game of the Year because it's not a game that everyone's playing. It should be about basically the number of plays of a game rather than overall, you know enjoyment in a game because if a game that if it's a game you want to play over and over again it's probably a good game so stuff, stuff like Five Tribes and Dead of Winter and Splendor they all operate on being able to play over and over again you can play these games multiple times and get a different experience in each each way so um, yeah I think, I think those are all very worthy titles
0: I just noticed that Dead of Winter I've actually seen it at my local I suppose paper shop um, in Canberra I just couldn't believe that they actually had board games they just had this small section but one of the few games on top of you know Bang and Monopoly and Munchkin and things like that, they had Dead of Winter so I just noticed that's probably one of the most one of the more accessible ones that you see out and about a bit more Well, it's
3: Plaid um, Hat games, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah it is, um, and Five Tribes I remember everyone talking about that at PAX and not just Aos, because he was there volunteering, but also a lot of people were talking about it, so I'm assuming it is one of those games which sort of spreads like wildfire
3: Yeah, and contrary to my splendor Machi Koro dilemma, at PAX I did I didn't get to play Five Tribes and I really wanted to it was after PAX that I got to play Five Tribes for the first time uh, with you, Sam, actually, at Christmas. And I, I, I loved it. I've got my copy right now. I'm staring at it. It's a very good game. And I try and play it as much as possible, actually. It's it's probably, right now, it's on top of my list next to Istanbul for games that I pull out for new people.
2: Yeah, it's it's a game that I've played with a lot of new people, uh, new people that are new to the hobby that want something a little bit more engaging than something like Monopoly or, or Settlers of Catan, which are you know excellent games to get people...
3: And as a result, I think that um, because of that, Splendor is something I'm going to have to go out and actually give a proper shot now. Because what I did notice from that little um, Shut Up and Sit Down review is that Splendor had those really nice, chunky poker chips.
2: Good components make all the difference, right? Like, that's how they get board game of the year, to have the best components of the world.
3: Miniatures for days! It's a huge thing. The combination of theme and aesthetics in a game, like the tactileness of it all, I think that is absolutely massive.
2: Yes. Alright, so um, we'll, qu- we'll quickly move on. Um, We're going to combine some of these together because there's quite a lot of... Sections, but I would recommend going through and having a look through them personally if you want to find out more about a specific area. So, one of the games that picked up quite a few awards was um, uh, Star Realms, which picked up two-player game of the year and card game of the year. And this one was EOS's recommendation. Aeos recommended this game quite highly, saying that it was pretty cool and interesting. I don't think anyone else has had a chance to play it yet, have they? No.
0: And unfortunately, Aeos had to go home, so we can't really talk about it.
2: Yeah, he's not hes not here with us anymore, unfortunately. He's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> He
3: died. Yeah, technical
2: difficulties. Welcome to Australia. So the award for best expansion went to Seven Wonders for Babel. And now Babel was an expansion for Seven Wonders that added in the ability to build a center tower, which when you added things to it or remove things away, it changed the rules of the game slightly. I haven't actually had a chance to play this one. How about anyone else?
3: Unfortunately, still haven't seen this one. I actually don't think I've seen a copy of this one around, so...
2: I think I saw a copy of it only just the other day. It's like board games in Australia are these rare beasts that we'd have to go hunting out into the wild to find. But this one, I've I looked through the components and looked through the new rules for, for it, and this looks like a solid addition, but the, the runner-up for it was Terra Mystica Fire and Ice, and from all accounts, that one is an incredible expansion towards the Terra Mystica experience. But I think that ultimately, Seven Wonders came down to being the winner simply for the accessibility. I mean, Terra Mystica is a, quite a hefty game to, uh, to face the first time to begin with, and I can see that a lot of people would probably not be interested in getting an expansion after they've sat through that quite intense experience. Amazing, but intense experience.
3: Well, just like the reflection we have- on the game of the year because I've, ha- I've had a good look at the Terra Mystica expansion for Fire and Ice and it's just more of the same stuff for Terra Mystica just expanding more factions more uh, little gameplay mechanics and it's a very good expansion in that way it's probably a reflection again on the demographic of Board Game Geek where the more the sl- not the slower the, the smaller games will tend to be more popular and get more table time and therefore get more votes from people whereas a more uh, a longer deeper game like Terra Mystica will have less people playing it therefore less votes.
2: I I also think that um, it may come down to the nature of an expansion as well. Like, for instance, if you have an expansion that just adds more roles or races into a particular game, then you probably don't really associate them with the expansion after you've played it for a little while. So if you just put all the termistic of Fire and Ice expansion stuff into the same box you probably wouldn't remember which one was the expansion and which one wasn't after a while and so you just go, yeah, I think it was pretty cool but I can't remember what was in what. Whereas Babel for Seven Wonders is a whole new game mechanic. Yeah, I mean, it's a Tower of Babel you know it's from Babel, you know it's not in the base game because it's so vastly different. So I think an expansion awards would also have to have to be interesting, engaging and making an old game really cool and interesting again in a way that's also unique to that expansion, which is quite hard to do realistically. Uh, the, the next one I want to talk about is the Innovative Game of the Year which um, was picked up by Dead of Winter and the runner-ups were Alchemists and Five Tribes and this is actually the one that I kind of disagree with the most. Like, the rest of them do make sense. Like, you know, they, they're popular games, they do well, they hit the right demographics for Board Game Geek whereas this one, Dead of Winter to me doesn't seem like a game that is especially innovative. It's polished, it's got a cool new mechanic with that Crossroads system but it's not a game that's so unlike anything else you've ever seen before. Like people, a lot of people have made the comparison to Battlestar Galactica. Obviously, Dead of Winter's newer and it's got some flashy bells and whistles, but it's really not a completely unique experience. Whereas something like Alchemists and Five Tribes, both are completely different. There's no game out there that you can pick up that's like Alchemists and Five Tribes. Sure, it's slightly based on that old mankala of picking up things and moving them around, but it's got so many things that have really brought it to be new and flashy and and, and fresh and innovative. So I don't know. I actually kind of disagree with this judgment what is what's your thoughts
3: i completely agree what you're saying but in my opinion alchemist would have been the better one to actually get the award in the end as i can remember from the top of my head i don't think they have played any game like alchemist and just the way that it uses the app it's it's a part of the game right and it's seamless it's not like oh i have to use an app for this game i don't know if i want to do it or not once you use it you're locked into it and it works so flawlessly and the whole game just flows around that and just the component quality everything about it we've already said in the review but for innovation alchemist definitely hit the mark for me what do you think jess
0: same here yeah unfortunately we've got a bit of a hive mind here thing happening i agree alchemist i think we should have taken at the top for that one
2: well since you've got a hive mind i disagree i think dead of winter is the best game ever
0: oh oh you would do that wouldn't you oh
2: because you like zombies yeah zombies unique i i, I really need more zombie games because there's not enough of them i've never seen anything of zombies in in pop culture at all it's it's an underrepresented genre all right. Uh, we'll move on to the next um, topic, which was uh, party games, and uh, th- there's some really good titles in this one. Uh, I think 2014 was definitely a great year for party games. So the first, the, the winner, the big winner of the party game category was the reprint of Cash and Guns, the second edition, and the runners-ups were One Night Ultimate Werewolf and Sheriff of
3: Nottingham. Yeah, there's some good games in that list, right? Uh, Just a good thing to point out as well of Cash and Guns, it is the second edition. EOS was telling us about uh, Cash and Guns, the second edition, improving quite a lot on the first edition of Cash and Guns, fixing a lot of the main problems the game had, so it's good to see that doing so
2: well with the voting. For people who aren't aware of Cash and Guns, the premise behind it is everyone is playing as sort of like uh, criminals that are trying to split the loot at the end of a massive heist. And everyone has a little toy gun, and you point a toy gun at someone, and you may or may not actually have a have a bullet in it—not real bullets, obviously. We don't condone um, actual Russian roulette, but hey, uh, if, if that's what if that's what you if, that what's, if that's floats your boat, then go for it. Uh, Cash and Guns is a basically a little game where you are sort of negotiating with each other to try and split the pool—a really quick and easy game. The second edition brings in new features, uh, tides, tidies it all up, um, and removes a lot of the, some of the problems with the first edition. Uh, The other games were One Night Ultimate Werewolf, which is the modern take on Werewolf, which only takes 10 minutes. It's really quick and easy, one round, no player elimination, really fast, really cool. My favourite version of Werewolf by far, and the game that we consistently talk about here in this podcast because we have nothing else to say.
0: I do have to disagree with, I guess, the order of this again, but I suppose that's just our personal taste. We really do love One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Um, I have played Cash and Guns. I liked it but i it, didn't it, it have is the it wow did, it didn't have the wow factor that one night does But I suppose Cash and Guns is a lot more accessible. You get a lot more fresh people, in. they tend not to be so scared because they don't have to lie or anything like that. Mm -hmm. All they're doing is hiding their car.
3: And who doesn't want to point a foam gun at their friends, all right? (laughs) That game, you see people playing it and immediately look at that game and go, I want to play that, because you see these shiny Like
0: little foam guns, yeah. Yeah, Everyone's pointing them at each other, (laughs) it's fun. Just
3: one thing I want to bring up regarding um, the results here, right? We we can just see winner and runners-up, correct? Um, My question, though, is that I'd, I'd be very curious to see See what the the splits are if we look at a percentage of votes like how close is it between Cash and Guns one night and Sheriff of Nottingham like are we talking like 5% or are we seeing Cash and Guns get 80% of the
2: vote that sort of thing I will go search for these inform- this information as we speak please doll
0: but apparently there is, like, really amusing b- pictures on the internet of cash and guns where they've got, like, a group of grannies all playing yeah. it and pointing guns at each other. Yeah. Which is just makes it all the more hilarious.
3: Yeah, because grandma likes to heist a bank and then point
2: guns at her friends. Pretty much. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's what my grandma does.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it looks, It looks like we don't actually have access to those stats, so we actually don't know how close these things were. I could just be terrible at internet. Someone could, will let us know in a comment or in an email somewhere along the way, hopefully. If you know how to get us those numbers, please send it to us. So, uh, yeah, uh, the other party game was Sheriff of Nottingham, which is a game where you're sort of playing as border security, trying to stop people from smuggling goods across. It's uh, it's pretty fun. It's a nice little negotiation game. I haven't played it enough to really comment, but my experience with it was very good. I, I would play it again anytime. Yeah, it's a, solid, a very good party game. You just said border protection that immediately
3: makes me think that I really want a board game version of Papers, Please. Oh, jeez. Now that needs to be a thing.
2: Just a solo, a single-player game of just nothing but pure sadness as you have to stand people away.
3: Now do I choose between feeding my family and getting them medicine or do I take
2: the bribe from these mysterious people that show up every week? I don't know. It sounds like a fun game. Papers, Please. It's a great video game. Completely irrelevant to our discussion. <laughs> <laughs> the best strategy game award was given to Five Tribes and the runners-ups were Imperial Settlers and Castles of the Mad King. Ludwig. I think Five Tribes is uh, like in my opinion that's a good result. Yeah, I I don't haven't played enough of either of the other two games to comment on whether I think they're better or worse. But no, I, I agree with all the the, the judgments on that. I don't know solid, all, the, all of them solid games and coming runner-up in the Golden Geek Awards is, is still a huge reward. It's not like that they get they go home with nothing, right? They It's a huge it's a huge honour to, to get that sort of prize. So they're all excellent games in the strategy game category.
3: I'd like to play both of them. I, I've seen Aeos play Castles of Mad King Ludwig uh, with a couple of people at a game night and I was a few minutes late to join in starting that game and it look, looked really cool. And just the idea as well that the game is based on, apparently, uh, don't quote me on this but uh, the actual Mad King Ludwig, Ludwig and his castles being quite you know, mad.
2: Yeah, um, it's almost like we heard that that particular factoid we mentioned earlier in this podcast. Did we? Yes. The uh, best thematic game went to Dead of Winter for its zombie-themed game.
3: No surprise.
2: And I, 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 when they I say thematic game, I think in this case they're sort of meaning that a Merry Thrash-style game rather than like deep Euro strategy game. And it, in terms of it being the most unique theme or interesting, it's not. It's not a prize for the most theme game. It's a game. That is, it's the best game that has a theme focus. But an interesting discussion was that someone someone raised the point that you could actually play Dead of Winter and replace all of the zombies with wolves, and it still makes sense.
3: I'd prefer that. I don't like the whole zombie thing.
2: Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting idea. And, well, apparently there's going to be future Crossroad games that may not be so zombie-centric, so eh, that'll be good.
3: Well, um, Once again, I think Alchemist right there with thematic would have fit in quite nicely. And- I think it's more of a strategy game, though, isn't it? Well,
0: well it's thematic.
3: No, it's, it's heavily thematic that game yeah fair enough massively thematic I, you have to go play it Sam yeah <laughs> alright alright I'll go play it first listen to our review
0: so just quickly wrapping up on the games that we didn't get to mention congratulations on Star Realms for picking up the best two player game Patchwork for the best abstract game Abyss for artwork and presentation Star Realms for card game again Tales and Games for the children's games um, then we've They're got gorgeous. Splendor again for family game Dead of Winter for innovative, which we've talked about and then we've got... And then we held hands for print and play.
2: I'm suddenly really interested in that game. I think I will go look it up.
0: I'm just like, oh, well, we've missed it. I know, what is it? Um, then we've got um, Imperial Settlers for best solo game, which we didn't know was a solo game until this award came out.
2: It's a one to four player game, so I guess it's the best solo game that can be played with others. Yes.
0: <laughs> Then Fire in the Lake, her best war game. And, of course, the Dice Tower for the best podcast. Congratulations.
2: Yes, congratulations to everyone at the Dice Tower for winning best podcast. We'll come beat you up sometime and get that award in future years.
0: Many future
2: years. Many future years. We will overtake the Dice Tower. We will attack and assault them with catapults in the night. Um, I mean, we'll be friends. Hi, Tom.
3: I'd want to be friends of Quinn's. Okay, and now we're going to wrap up the podcast with our last section, which we're going to do every month. It's our Q&A section. Uh, You, the listeners, can send in questions via our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or at our Board Game Geek Guild page.
2: Uh, So, since our last podcast, we've got a total of three... Three questions. Yes, three questions. Cool. The first question comes from Chris Birchley on our Facebook page, and he asks, Are you guys hosting or participating in the International Tabletop Day this year? Yes. Next question, from Philip Hanson, also on our Facebook page. What is the most unexpected thing that has happened to you during a game? Okay, all right, I'm going to start with this one. And this is a bit of an odd one. It's kind of
3: in between games, literally. So this was at Christmas time. I was playing some games with a couple of people who were up from down south in Australia, Sydney, to visit. And we were playing a lovely game of ink and gold, having a grand time. And then about 7.30 at night, I get a call from EOS and I hear laughing in the background. And it turns out that they are all waiting for me for a six-player game of Rex, and I am not there at the time. Uh, The problem being that when we planned this, Rex being a game we need six people to play it properly, we planned it about a month prior, and me being a little bit silly, recorded the wrong day in my calendar. So I was on Saturday night sitting there thinking, alright, I've got a day before Rex on Sunday to go play that, and no, I was wrong. So getting a call from EOS, and they're all wondering where I am, I immediately had to race off from where I was to go play Rex and leave my other friends, we were halfway through a game of Ink and Cold, because I felt so bad I couldn't leave them for a five player game at Rex, that just doesn't work.
2: So the almost unexpected thing that's happened to you during a game is that there was another game a game within a game, a game section. Hey, as it were.
3: would you ever expect that? Though it was in- it was incredible because I I was like I felt so bad for Aos and the rest of them, and I raced. I absolutely raced.
0: I can imagine the panic in your eyes.
3: And the funny thing about that as well. This is probably actually the most unexpected part. I won that game of Rex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you're always good at that. No, I'm not. <laughs> No, no, okay, Kristoff has a thing in military games where he just sits there and no one attacks him. Oh no, because he's got a smiley face or something. And I
3: think that says a lot about the game. Yeah. That, that you can win by not being aggressive in a war game by turtling.
0: It's not just that game, because you also did well on TI.
3: Yeah, I, I have won a game of TI, but that was just because I did the objective slowly and peacefully while everyone else blew each other up.
0: Exactly, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, fair enough. Um, mine was probably when we were playing a children's game called Tapple. And Tapple's a game where you've got a little thing in the middle with all the different letters on it, and you're given a question. So, for example... Um Name an animal, and when you come up with, say, koala, you hit the K button, and it goes around. And there's a timer, and everyone's got to get their answer out in, say, 20 seconds. I'm not sure exactly. It's how a very short. It's, it's time a very time short time, and it gets very fast. Um, and the question was, name a song. Yeah. My brain just went, nope, you don't know any songs, and you don't know any of their names either, shut down, sat down, and gave up, and yeah. it was a completely open board, and I was just like, wow, I didn't know my brain could just give up like that, which <laughs> was pretty cool.
3: Tapple does do that, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a really cool game. Yeah. For a kid's game.
3: <laughs> I love it. I want a copy. I, I normally get my games at Cool Stuff Inc., and it's only like, you know, $15, $20, so I'm pretty sure in my next large game order, it's going to be thrown in there just for extra.
2: My weirdest and unexpected thing was going to ha- that, that's happened to me happened in a game of of One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I think we probably need to get a buzzer or something every time we mention that game at this rate. But this game, uh, in this particular game, we were playing with all of the roles, I think, and um, the doppelganger went first, saw a troublemaker, and so they got the ability to swap to other players. Uh, And the, the, the doppelganger swapped the robber with another person. The robber then woke up and stole the card back. And so you had a game where the robber woke up took a tile it was their own tile they put it back in front of them and they're just sitting there the rest of the game going I have no idea what's going on <laughs> the look of confusion on everyone's faces when when the robber said I was the robber and I stole myself
0: I promise I swear please don't kill me that's, that's, that's
2: incredible <laughs> it was just so unlikely and just beautiful how it all came down uh, it's, it's a great game for that unexpected twist I, I will look
3: into some sort of counter for mentions of One Night Ultimate Werewolf that we have during this podcast sort of
0: like a swear jar yeah <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's, it's our wolf jar.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The next question comes from Dave Binney, also known as his uh, Board Game Geek account name as LeBut. I probably love it, but we'll go with Labart. Question from a future listener. Do you pimp out your games?
0: Well, most of all, and I said probably, probably need a, a another jar for this, Android Netrunner.
2: No,
3: we both pimp out Netrunner quite a bit. And, and like the best thing about Netrunner is that you get your own tokens for it and a playmat and sleeves, and that's one good example. Um, Aos, uh, his his two-player card game is Summoner Wars, and he decks that out like crazy. He's got his own special box with the different dividers for all the factions, and they're all sleeves and he's got all these special um, the gem counters he uses for wounds in that game because the game comes with little uh, circular wound markers they have ones on one side threes on the other for counting how many hits the uh, cards take but he's got little gems they actually look like the gems you get in Istanbul but they're pink And it's just really, really cool. He's even got green and blue ones for the new mechanics they have in the Alliances box set coming out.
2: He's got them ready before he's actually got the game. I actually really don't pimp out most of my games. And I guess, um, apart from, like, simple sleeving and things like that to, you know, sort of ensure that they still work in a few years' time. But, like, in terms of customising their own components and things like that, typically I don't really bother because... Well, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's not really a worthwhile investment when I can just buy more games. But I can completely get behind choosing one or two games that you really like and getting custom components and chipping down all that extra dollars for. And I have actually considered getting custom tokens for Netrunner. We need another buzzer for Netrunner as well. Um, And, uh, yeah, but apart from that, don't really pimp out my game too much.
0: I suppose if I was going to pimp out any of my games, it would either be Zulkan or Power Grid. Zulkan. Because I would really like to be able to see a really cool Power Grid with some, you know, physical, actual rubbish bins rather than just sort of a yellow cylinder. Or... You know, Zulkin with all of the gears all arted up, because I've seen a few of those on the internet.
3: There's- yeah, on, on Board Game Geek there are threads dedicated to Zulkin and, and the customization of the gears, and that if I were any, like, you know, quarter good at painting, I would give it a shot, but I suck at painting.
2: Yeah, I, I would really like to have a painted Zulkin's kit. If anyone is will- in the Brisbane area and willing to donate their time...
3: <coughs> I'm sure I've got some artsy friends who'd love to paint some gears for me.
2: So that wraps up our podcast for this month of February 2015. We've been your hosts, I'm Sam Glasby.
3: I'm Chris. Christoph Schrader. I'm Aos James
0: and Jessica James
2: we'll see you next
3: time here on the Board Game Nights and remember live long and prosper